What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Talk. joining me today. So, you know me, my name's Chuck Tuck, and I am your host for Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Have you ever had trauma or phobia or anxiety? Well, I think many of us have experienced that before. So my guest today is Mahesh Grossman, and he's what he calls himself a somatic hypnotherapist. And what he does is he really helps people connect with their subconscious to understand where these traumas are coming from. So then he helps heal or fix that. So in this podcast, we're going to hear a little bit about phobias, traumas, anxieties, and there's going to be different methods of how he's going to let us know how we can face these things. So hopefully, if you have a phobia or trauma or anxieties, that this is going to help you out. On another note, I want to say thank you very much for subscribing, for following, for reposting, for commenting, for sharing, all of the above, because everything really helps. And if you haven't done so, please do any and all of the above. So without further ado, let's get into the story. Trauma and anxiety are, are deeply connected, but under a lot of what we call anxiety is caused by trauma. It's caused by old trauma. It's a pattern match to we're anxious about having to deal with feelings that we didn't deal with in the past. And so when we come up against that edge, there's a there's a trauma that's that's hiding underneath the anxiety for a lot of people. So it's not one in the same one leads to the other or one is a is it a cause and effects? So what is the difference or what is anxiety and what is trauma then? Well, anxiety are the symptoms, right? Anxiety is, I, I, you know, my heart beats fast. I sweat. I get nausea. I, I'm afraid I'm going to die and have a heart attack. I procrastinate. I freeze and I don't do anything because I'm afraid to do it. And trauma is there's something in the past that we have feelings that we haven't dealt with yet. So, I mean, the trauma, what happened in the past happened in the past, but the leftover emotions that overwhelmed us that were too much for us to deal with at the time or weren't safe for us to deal with at the time because people were doing bad things. That creates a lot of the same symptoms as anxiety. The the just you know if if we get into a situation that triggers those feelings, we could be anxious about. We could be afraid to do those, deal with those feelings. Huh. Like if, if I have if something shows up that's going to make me angry. And I'm scared of my anger. I will get anxiety as a way to stop myself from dealing with that rather than kind of going over the cliff and jumping and, and you know, in, and landing in the water of the emotions, which is what which can end the anxiety for certain things in a different, you know, completely. Yes, at least for myself, maybe for many others, when we were. When I would think of anxiety, I would not look at it as a symptom. I kind of rolled everything into one. The symptom and the the result was all kind of rolled up into one. Uh, so now, now I'm getting anxiety thinking about this. Trying to get, <laughs> differentiate we, everything. we do get, yeah, well, it, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. <laughs> yes, please, please. <laughs> and, and frankly, I've never talked about it this way the the way that i usually usually i'm talking about anxiety or trauma but yes can talk about it this way and and i can probably give some examples i like to keep this as a learning experience for me and many of the listeners and viewers out there it's uh, you're providing us the information and you know we take it and do what we can with it and especially with trauma and anxieties and things like that like you said deep rooted something that happened in the past and possibly there's a way to 
not avoid, but I don't know. Can you can you fix? Can you cure any of this kind of stuff? Any of the oh yeah, and... you, what you do is you heal it. You allow yourself to connect to the underlying root cause of what happened, and I'll I'll, I'll give a way to do that on on the show, and yeah. and then you you release the leftover emotions using the same techniques I use for anxiety. I use for trauma, and you say the things you need to say to kind of the internalized person that you're still carrying with you. Usually your parents, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's bullies, sometimes it's coaches, sometimes it's a teacher and, and you get them because they're not real. They, they don't exist in the present moment like they did 30 years ago or how many, you know, people have entirely new bodies every nine years, the cells regenerate. <laughs> so you're carrying this internalized version of them and wow. they are affecting all your behaviors and all your reactions. So you talk to them and you say, you know, blank, it really hurt me when you blank. And they will potentially say, I'm sorry, but generally when they do, and this is your imaginary version of this person, but when they say, I'm sorry, generally it's not completely genuine and it's not with unconditional love. And it's not like, I'm sorry, I never should have done that. It was all my fault. You should have never had to go through that. And I love you and you're a great kid. It's usually, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's what people did to me, or I'm sorry, but I was trying to treat, teach you what you needed to know. And that's not unconditional love. And it's a part of us that stays in, that's inside us, that doesn't love ourselves unconditionally. So when we get to the point where we release the tension through these visualizations, and I'll walk people through one of the visualizations, and we have these conversations with these inner parts, and then we heal the inner parts, because they're, what we're dealing with actually is we've, we're carrying other people's inner child with us our parent typically our parents inner child but there's some hurt inner child that we're busy carrying around trying to protect ourselves from and so if we when we can heal this inner child that we're carrying inside us that doesn't even belong to us and get it to say i'm sorry i love you you're a great kid or whatever we need to hear then suddenly the tension goes i've had people heal heal phobias this way I, all kinds of trauma I've had people heal uh, a fear of being on television. I had somebody who's on TV a lot around politics, and his mouth, he would, his voice would get all tight, and he hated the way he sounded on TV because he wasn't as relaxed as he normally is. And, and when we did, we did a bunch of work around the bully actually, and the bully, when he, when, when that he stopped carrying that inner bully around with him, all of a sudden he was fine. So when you say you carry the other person around, the inner bully or the your a parent or you know a teacher or whoever it may have been, is that just that you're carrying around the like the memory because you're yeah. recalling yeah. what had happened to you because of that person? Well, it's not conscious so much, but you're carrying around the message you got from them. Okay. And so, it, but you know, it's hard to deal with a message. You have to deal with a person. You have to, you know what I mean? The, it's much easier to imagine, imagine a person than it is to say, oh, I'm talking to a vague nondescript message. Right. Yeah. You have to associate that message with something that. The, the person who gave it to you. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that... carrying around a frozen version of the person who, of your interpretation of the person who gave you that message. Because it's quite possible on, on rare occasions that you got the message all wrong. You know, you took something in that they didn't even mean, but it's affected you for your whole life. Oh, my gosh. And how often do we do that? I mean, somebody says something, but we pull out what we want to hear or what we what we thought the person said or meant. Yeah. And, uh, well, Mahesh, how did you get into all of this? I mean, what, what drove you to being an expert in this well, subject? Like like most people who go into these things, I had a whole bunch of my own trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I started working on stuff in 1986. So I, when I was 27 years old, I, even 26 years old, I started doing kind of these works. And I just kept wanting to to be better and be different. And, and so I kept doing it. And, and I had a therapist I worked with on and off for 15 years, 300 hours, who, and I was in a men's group that was doing kind of process work and people weren't that good at it. And they didn't really know what they were doing and I wanted to get better at it. And he was offering a workshop on psychodrama, which is what he did. And, and it was kind of a 
psychic drama that connects to your body and, and helps you find the core. So I took his seminar and of course I was better at it than anyone else because, well, I had 300 hours of private lessons, not knowing how to do it, but just being on the other end of it. And people, when I'd work with people in my men's group, they were telling me I was taking them deeper to deeper places than their own therapist was taking them. And so things were happening. And eventually I got to the point where I was going to do this kind of on a regular basis with people, just, you know, part-time. And it turned out a hypnoth- it turned out the California psychology board doesn't like people who are not therapists to do, to do this work, even if they admit they're not therapists. And I looked at the law and, and hypnosis was exempt from the whole law about not working with the subconscious, except if you're a therapist. And then I started going to hypnosis school. It was like, wow, this stuff makes everything I've done much better. I mean, it's taught me all kinds of new things. But even the things I did when somebody got nice and relaxed and you did it, I got better results with people doing the same stuff I used to do when I had them nice and relaxed beforehand. Do you think that on both ends, whether you're the psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, hypnotist, or the patient, you have to be accepting of the messaging, the information that is you know, given and provided from both ends to, I mean, for it to work? You know, my way of thinking is you don't want a message from outside yourself. Okay. You don't want someone to tell you stuff about you. You want to be, the better you, the more you can connect to your own subconscious, the better. So in my sessions with people, I say, look, you know, I'm going to give you some suggestions at times on, on what to do or what to see to make it easier for you. But if you see something entirely different from what I see, yours is better than mine because you're the one who's connected to your subconscious. So I, yeah, my approach to, I was lucky. Most of the therapists I worked with worked in kind of a body oriented way and, and worked, you know, more deeply with the emotions. I, I had very few talk therapists. And when I did, I felt like I wasn't getting anything accomplished. I can picture and I can imagine that. Like you said, is some is some therapist may be a talk therapist. All they're doing is talking and you're going, wait a second. I'm, well, they, they listen and they let you talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's not so much that. I did have one therapist who had like a bunch of suggestions for me. And I was like, no. And they were really weird suggestions too. And on top of that, when I ended with her after three sessions, she called me and said, why are you ending with me? And, and, and you, why don't you tell me what, what you didn't like? And, I, and I'll tell you what, how I would diagnose you. And I said, well, I'm happy to tell you what I didn't like, but I don't think I trust you enough to let you diagnose me after three sessions. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So like you were saying is you'll do the heavy lifting. So I'm going to let you just carry on and do some of the heavy lifting as far as, you know, getting into, you know, some of the root causes of trauma, which of course probably could be just about everything and anything. And it all depends on the individual and some of the workarounds that you have helped your clients with, or that you've discovered that, that work or maybe we all have some sort of trauma that is someplace rooted in all of us and then there's going to be possibly at some point in time a trigger that's true i mean not well i don't know if everybody has a tremendous trauma uh, yeah but you know 61 percent of us have had something the kaiser foundation did a study of adverse childhood experiences and over seventeen thousand people they found 61 percent had had at least one adverse childhood experiences experience, one of which is is is, is poverty. Mm-hmm. So just just growing up poor is is traumatic, and you know that that took up a significant percentage of the sixty one percent. But you know, we all know that. I mean, the statistics are that one out of three women have been abused, right. and that only includes the ones who know about it, remember it, or admit it on the survey. So I would say it's more likely one out of two. And they say one out of six men have been sexually abused. And the truth of the matter is there's all these repressed memories. I didn't discover I was sexually abused till I was 40 something years old. And then I didn't discover more of it till I was 50 something years old. So there's, you know, those numbers are, are a little bit on the low side. So if you just imagine that, you know, 
between men and women, one out of three of us have experienced some kind of sexual abuse, let alone physical abuse, or mm-hmm. or just a parent in jail is a is a kind of trauma. A parent with alcoholism or some kind of addiction is another kind of trauma. Divorce is a trauma. So we we there's a lot of us who've had something. Do you think, or is there a study out there where the longer we wait to recognize it, or the, the longer it takes for us to recognize it, we are influenced by other things, outside forces, or or embedded false memories is what I'll, I can't think of what to say, but somehow we've made it worse or bigger than what it is. Are there different categories where you said, like, with women, there are fewer that say that they've been sexually abused or abused in some way because they either put it so far out of the mind or they didn't see it as some sort of an abuse. And I guess same with men. Or is there something where it says, ah, it is greatly exaggerated. Like men will say, well, I've slept with a hundred women and it's five. And women would say, oh, only three guys and it's 20 or something like that. Is there a study that shows that there there's exaggerations or anything like that for, for this? You know, here's, here's, I only know from my experience and from the experience of my clients, things have a profound effect on us. We don't always remember them. My ex-wife had no idea she'd been sexually abused until her father came in and apologized for abusing her in the middle of the night four times when she was 14. She had absolutely no memory of it. And, and to be honest, I didn't know I had had any sexual abuse for 10 years talking about her sexual abuse. I didn't know until I had a dream that made it clear that something happened to me when I was five years old that marked me symbolically. And, and then another dream that r- was really quite clear that I needed to go back into therapy. And then I, there were things about my life that I knew could point that way. And then I started figuring out first one person and then four other people who sexually abused me over, over a period of years that I, I started remembering these things. So, you know, it's, it's a re is it possible to plant a memory? I'm sure that it is to some degree. Does that mean that most people who, who have memories or have, have had them implanted? No. More, you know, you repress things because it's not safe to know them. Or in my case, a lot of my stuff happened before I was, you know, verbal. So getting in touch with infant stuff takes a really long time and and it shows up when and how it shows up. As a therapist of mine that I really liked, who I only saw a few times because she was retiring, said the subconscious gives up what it wants to give up when it wants to give it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're, that therapist is actually very correct. (laughs) It's true. <laughs> yeah, we don't bring it up. It just it when it, it wants just to bring shows up, up. It shows up. No, I'm a hypnotherapist. Okay, so we're I'm so, a clinically certified certified clinical hypnotherapist. It, but it, you can it, find everything out about me at anxiety123.com. Yeah, and it, if you just Google Mahesh Grossman, you're just all over the place. Berkeley, you know, like I said, you went to school at Berkeley, but you you're a famous guy. In some ways, person. yeah. <laughs> in some ways, I am. The, the the easiest. I wanted to make it as easy as one, two, three, because I listen to podcasts on the elliptical machine in my car. So, it, and I've noticed that had people have really difficult ways websites to remember. But mine is is as easy as one, two, three. It's simple. It's simply anxiety one, two, three dot com, and that gives you links to everything I've got. Let's talk about anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the trick about anxiety. Anxiety has to do with, I I call anxiety a pattern match allergy. Because what happens is there's something from our past, whether we know it or not, that scared us and didn't feel safe. And we, our brain makes sloppy pattern matches and thinks that we're at threat when we're not at threat. So like with cave people, right? So you're attacked by a woolly mammoth near yellow grass. Your brain picks up on everything and millions of pieces of information, including the color yellow of the yellow grass. You go into the cave, grandma's cave painting, and you see the yellow bison 
and you start to have a panic attack or you start having your heart starts racing or you're, you know, you get nauseous. And it's because of the pattern match that your brain is making. So, and I can talk about more about anxiety, uh, general anxiety and morning anxiety and things like that. But in terms of just things that you can't do, it's because there's some leftover stuff that we may or may not be conscious of. So the trick with anxiety is the brain gets all, I call it the cave brain. It's called the amygdala, but amygdala means almonds in Greek. Science, science, people who want to be scientific love making things way more complicated than they should be. It really should just be called the almond brain, but I call it the cave brain. And the cave brain thinks it's saving your life. So if whatever make, if you, if let's say asking someone out makes you anxious, if you don't do it, if you avoid them and you don't ask them out, or you don't even talk to them, the cave brain thinks you've won. I'm sorry, the, yeah, the, the cave brain thinks that you've it's saved your life. So what you have to do, and, 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 and the gold standard on, on anxiety is, is called exposure therapy, where you make yourself do whatever it is that makes you anxious. But that's really difficult. That's really difficult, and you're white-knuckling it the whole time, and... Maybe you succeed, maybe you don't. But here's what's quite possible. And, and so I have a book called The One Minute Anxiety Solution with 57 ways to lower your anxiety and take back your life. And that book is filled with techniques that lower your anxiety enough to keep going at what you're doing. You don't have to be completely calm. You just need to be calm enough to do whatever it is you're that makes you anxious because when you actually do that thing, your brain says, Oh, this is safe. I don't have to send anxiety symptoms anymore. And that's how you beat anxiety for a particular kind of thing. Okay. On top of that though, there's something called anticipatory anxiety. So your mind still has this pattern of, when I do this, I'm going to get anxious. So you also have to do things to lower your anxiety before when you get anxious thinking about it from that standpoint, because that's like a different facet of the diamond. There's the actual thing, and then there's the thinking about doing the actual thing. So you have to lower your anxiety for both of those things. And so a lot of my techniques come from hypnosis because the, the cave brain or the amygdala it will shut down. It'll, it, it shuts, first off, what it does, it shuts down all your modern parts of your brain because it wants to put you into fight, flight, or freeze. So you don't, because you either have to fight the woolly mammoth, run away from the woolly mammoth, run away from the woolly mammoth, or you have to stand still, like, you know, the hedge, what was the hot, what is it that? There's an the animal possum. that, possum, yes. The you have to be like a possum and be completely still, and maybe the woolly mammoth won't notice you. So the cave brain shuts down all the modern parts, because if you have 12 different ideas all at once, then you're going to be dinner for the woolly mammoth, because you won't decide, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the woolly mammoth will eat you. So it makes you stupid. Anxiety is designed to make, give you brain fog. It's, that's one of the symptoms of anxiety. Make it, make you feel stupid so you can't, this is why test anxiety shows up and, and people fail tests because they're anxious. Because anxiety is designed to make you not, well, it doesn't, it, to make you narrow down your, your choices. And, and so that's how it works. But the good news about that is if you start to use the modern parts of your brain, which involve your imagination, and I call it the modern brain, but a lot of it starts with the parietal lobe. When you do that, it tells the cave brain that you're okay. So it starts shutting off the anxiety symptoms and starts letting the, the modern brain get to work. And that's one of the, and so you, you then you can keep going because the anxiety symptoms are lower. Plus, well, and, 
So you plus what it does is the, the techniques from hypnosis that I'll, I'll share. They slow your brain waves down to the same pace they would be at during like meditation or deep sleep. You can't think your way out of anxiety because thinking and anxiety operate at the same brain speed. And well, well, they operate at the same, thinking operates at the same brain speed as anxiety. So your brain waves are going just as fast. So it's not going to lower your anxiety, which is why in therapy, if you're talking about anxiety, your anxiety is not going to go away. Thinking your way, you can't think your way out of anxiety. But if you change channels in your brain to the imagination, to what's going on in your body and visualizations that kind of connect your mind and your body, that's what does the trick. And, and I have like 33 of those out of the 57 ways in my ebook, The One Minute Anxiety Solution. Which so could I, that be something like, say you have a fear of flying or something like that, and and then you decide, well, I'm going to associate this flying with a particular song that I like that makes me happy. So when I'm taking off, I start humming or thinking of the song or picturing something. Is, is that what you're kind of talking about? Is that well, I'll, I'll give you, I mean, I'm going to give you really concrete examples that people can okay. try right right here, right now. But with phobias, it's different. Phobias, you want to get to the root cause of the phobia. Okay. So okay. what I found with phobias usually either are something from childhood and or, and this may be weird for some of your listeners, I've found people have past life things that make them anxious. Mm. Yeah. And, and, so, and and it's not like I've even tried. Like, like I've had people where I've been doing a session and all of a sudden they're talking about a past life. And I had nothing to do with introducing that idea. It just kind of showed up. Oh. So it, it's, and that happens in hypnosis. And I don't know whether you believe in past lives, but oh well. <laughs> it's not, everything I've seen has made such sense with the phobia that people have had. So, but let's, let's go to the, the ways of reducing anxiety. So yes, I have yes, one please. technique that I call the magician's hat. So you notice where you're feeling tension in your body and wherever that is, you picture a magician's hat. You know the trick where they take the handkerchief out of the magician's hat and it just keeps going and there's lots and lots of handkerchiefs? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what you do with, let's say, your, the tensions in your stomach. So if you feel the tension in your stomach and you put the magician's hat there, you then start pulling on the handkerchiefs in the magician's hat and just keep going and going and going until there are no more handkerchiefs. And you'll find that relaxes you really quite a lot. And it may, that's, that may be enough to keep going at whatever's making you anxious. I don't have any anxiety. I'm not anxious, no tension right now, but I, I imagine that and that it's simple enough to imagine, like I said, that magician's hat and pulling the handkerchief out. Wow. I'm going to try that one. Yeah, it works really well. It's one of the easiest things I do with people. And another technique that I do, it's not in the book yet because it came up recently. But when people are stuck in worrying and overthinking, that's also a kind of anxiety. And so one of the things I do is I have them unzip in their their forehead, and when they unzip their forehead, they see. I ask them to see, you know, the cash register tape at the supermarket. <laughs> yes. So just imagine pulling the cash register tape out, and you're just pulling, and it's just like the handkerchiefs in a certain kind of way. It's just a different, different flavor of that. And you just keep pulling that cash register tape out till there's no more. And it's very relaxing and it makes a huge difference and it changes something and it stops the worry loop. Do you use any, anything with auditory, any sound or anything like that? And does that not, help people? That may help some people. Uh, that's not my thing. So I, I tend to use more verbal things. Uh, or, or more imagery. I have a verbal thing for anticipatory anxiety, where you're anxious that you're going to be anxious. I have some wordplay things, which is like, just, you know, say whatever it is you're going to be anxious about. Like, I, I'm afraid they're going to laugh at me, shmi, re, gi, di, di. You just keep rhyming. 
whatever the last word is. And, and that seems to make a difference enough to shift things because anticipatory anxiety is somewhat different. It's kind of a stuck thought loop. And so that, so that's what I use for that. What I'm discovering from listening to you is there's a, if we can call these if it's a disorder, there are differences and there's a, a lot of things. We just can't say it's, it's a trauma or an anxiety or a phobia. They all are slightly different then because when I was talking about the flight thing and you correct me, it's, it's, that's a phobia. So... Right, because it's the same thing happening over and over again. And usually there's some kind of root cause. With flight stuff, sometimes it's childhood stuff, and, and I've had a few of them where they were past life things. Mm. And it, and it's not not about flying. I mean, I had a guy who, who, who had a fear of flying over oceans, and the past life that showed up was he had, you know, he had a ship go down. And so there was like a, this pattern match between, you know, flying over an ocean and sailing. And that's that's why he was afraid of, of flying. On the other hand, I, I worked with a woman who had a fear of needles, and she was a diabetic, and she would cry. Since she was three years old, she would cry every time she either had to prick her finger for blood or prick, you know, or, you know give herself a shot. That's a lot of times. It's like eight times a day. And so... That's a lot of crying. Yeah. Yeah, and so we started. And so she wasn't taking her insulin on a regular basis. And and, her, and I talked to her and I, I, I said, well, let's go, you know, let yourself have that feeling. And this is this is really how you get over anything that triggers you. The first step is so, to, to go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead with your, the third step you're saying. Well, this, this is so when you're triggered and, and by anything, this is how I have people start. So I had her notice the, what it felt like in her body when she was about thinking about, you know, having a shot and then she felt it. And I said, well, notice how old you were the first time you had that feeling. And so, you know, and, and then with, with, in a broader sense, you, you ask questions with, well, how old, you know, if you don't know how old you, you know, were you 10 or over or you under 10 and then you start splitting the difference. But if you do know, you, you know, and where were you and who were you with and what was happening? And, in her case, the, when she got diagnosed as a diabetic at three years old and she went to the doctor's office, her she got very resistant to the needle. And the doctor was having a really hard time and they kept trying to give her the shot and it wasn't working. And his, her mother was yelling at her and the doctor was yelling at her. And the poor thing, it's three years old. and And it was a very painful experience. So every time the crying was really about Every time that she felt, every time she did a needle or pricked her finger, she felt criticized and unloved. And so she, she, I actually worked with her before I was a hypnotist. So what she did was she would call her friends every day before each shot and, and let them tell her how much they loved her. And within a week, she had gotten over her needle phobia. And not only that, she lost 160 pounds when she was good with her insulin wow. so it had nothing to do with the pain from the needle nothing at all to do with the pain with the needle it had to do with the pain in her heart and how criticized she would feel is that what you were referring to calling the, the pattern association or is that something a little well, bit well, it is, i mean it's an unconscious pattern match certainly we match the the pattern was the, the pattern was you know getting a needle right so that was yeah. the same throughout. I mean, it's not even a pattern match. That that was more of an identity, right? In math, you'd call it, or <laughs> in rhymes, you would call it an identity. How can we get away from that in everyday life when so many of us associate one thing with something else, consciously or subconsciously, we end up doing that? Well, to me, the, the trick is you the original pain is usually goes back. It usually goes much farther back. And so you just notice where you feel it in your body and you ask yourself how old you were the first time you had that feeling. And then you ask yourself, you know, who was I with? Where was I? What was happening? And then you deal with that person inside you and you say, blank, it really hurt me when you blank. Mom, it really hurt me when you criticize me all the time. 
And this is the, the beginning step in my five-step trauma detox process, which is part of my Defy Trauma course. And it's it literally is the same as, well, it's not the same as having a session with me because I'm not there, but it tells you every step of the way. And anyone can do this kind of thing if they, on their own, as long as they can connect to their body. If, okay. if there are people who are not able to say, I, I you know, if they have an emotion and they can't actually feel it in their body, then it's probably not for them. But for people who have the capacity to do that, this is a really fine way to do it. And again, it's at anxiety123.com. Just go click on the link to the course. The Defy you know, you course. beat me to it because I was going to say this is the perfect time again to let everybody know to go to anxiety123.com. And like we were saying earlier, you have your, your book there, the one minute was it anxiety, the one minute solution, anxiety yeah. solution. And you also have where you can get a free consultation. Folks can go right there and schedule their own consultation with you. So, and also you can follow me on, on, on TikTok and, and Instagram. And I'm teaching these things on, on those platforms for free. So if you just want to get a taste of what I'm about, in terms of because what it's really all about ultimately is loving yourself unconditionally and healing the parts of yourself that don't love yourself unconditionally and it's not a thought process it's a it's a it's connecting to kind of broken heartbroken places well i was going to ask if there's anything that you can do for annoyance annoyance you know we have there's certain things that are inborn for us that you can lower to a certain degree, mm -hmm. but you may still be somewhat annoyed. I used to talk about making a craptitude list. You know what a gratitude list is. A craptitude list is when you're grateful for the things that you don't like in your life. And mm -hmm. what that does is it builds equanimity. It makes you more peaceful with it. You know, you just admit that you're learning how to be peaceful about everything. And so I, I, I never believed in a gratitude list. I, maybe I do now a little more, but I always felt like it was cheating. It's like, well, gee whiz, if I'm grateful for my, the place I live in and the, you know, whatever money I have and whatever food I have and whatever other things I have that I like, what if I don't have those? What about the person who doesn't have those things? What about the homeless person who has, uh, there was a homeless woman with no teeth. Eating was very difficult for her, et cetera, et cetera. What is she going to be grateful for? Except maybe that she's breathing, but, and, and you know, whatever warmth she has. And, but it's, you know, that's really hard to do. So I made a craptitude list and I felt much better about it because I would be grateful for the things that annoyed me. Like sound is, is a really big one. And I, at the time I lived in a, an apartment with super thin walls where you, if somebody coughed in the house next door, not in the apartment building, but like across the driveway, you could hear it. And it was right near BART and the subway station, you know, not subway, the, I don't, in New York, it was a subway station. <laughs> to me, it's always been a subway station, but you know, the, the trains that, you know, the, the public transportation came every 20 minutes and if i was talking to the neighbor in the backyard we had to stop talking while it was doing its thing and i and i had a, and i was super sensitive to sound and i started making myself become grateful for those things and how they would make me less less upset that if i allowed myself to be grateful for them being there it made me less upset by the fact that they're there less annoyed and that uh, they could be my teachers I don't know if you can no, apply I, that to absolutely everything. Right. Well, um, I, I mean, to to do what you're saying, and it's what do I want to say? It's it's not healthy to stress on any of that kind of stuff. So, any way that you could help your own self not be annoyed by it, I think is 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 good. Yeah, <laughs> peace is good. always better than being annoyed, right? <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> And I certainly hope that you don't mind that we're, we're, I know we're kind of within the circle of the topic, but we're all over the place because my goodness, you are, you, you've got a wealth of information. And so far the, the ideas that you've, you know, shared with us, I think will definitely help and work. Like I said, especially the magician's hat. I mean, that one, I, 
when I get to that point where I am feeling some sort of anxiety or anything like that, a trauma, I'm going to use that magician's hat thought process. Oh, that's great. Yeah. There, and there are 57 of them in the ebook because if you do the same thing over and over again, the way our minds work, the things wear off at a certain point. You know what I mean? You get used to something and it, yeah, you, you have to, you have to, you have to refresh it with something else. So that's why I have 57 different ways. Plus people's minds work different ways. And so yeah. what you, you may love the magician's hat. I've had people who didn't like it, although it's pretty, pretty popular among the things I do. I used to do a thing called, I do a thing called fire hose that's in the book where you imagine a fire hose and you're pouring water into the Grand Canyon. And that worked really well, except for one guy who was a, a real fireman. And I, and I used to do it in a very complicated way where you would actually attach the fire hose to a fire hydrant in your, inside you. And, and it was just too, too not realistic for him. So it didn't work. Okay, yeah. But there's, there's also breathing <laughs> techniques because breathing techniques work. I have some that are slightly different than than what what's out there. Technique. I have a technique called the finger dance, where you move your fingers up and down, right and left. And because you're using both sides of the brain, uh, when you're moving your fingers on each side, it begins to relax you. And if you combine the finger technique with breathing in for eight counts and breathing out for eight counts, it has this this combined effect. Okay. I may try that one as well. Now, because you're, I'd say I want to keep saying hypnother hypnotherapist. When I say hypnotist, I'm saying magician. So, yeah. okay. I'm glad you said that because I wanted to, I, I did not want to make that mistake. So I, I'm a hypnotist and a hypnotherapist and a, I don't know. What else? <laughs> Trauma coach, anxiety coach. Now, two questions. So if, if somebody contacts you and you do your consultation and then they – can you do hypnotherapy over Skype, Zoom type we of We do it. Everything – I gave up my office. Everything Everything happens over Zoom. Okay. And it's okay. – the it has just – you know, first off, your eyes are closed for a lot of the time. So mm. whether you're with me or not, you're not seeing me. <laughs> <laughs> And and secondly, you know, so this is a little bit weird, but I'm an empath, which means I feel what's going on in other people's bodies while we're doing things. And there's this thing where this field forms between me and the client, and we both kind of pick up on each other. And, and the client picks up on kind of all the inner work that I've done. So they're able to lift more weight than, you know, you know when they can normally only lift 100 pounds with me, they can lift 200 pounds because I have this real sense of safety that's going on. That's within me because I've been working on, on my stuff for 37 years. And on the other hand, I pick up on the other person. And so I'll feel what's going on and where they're carrying tension in their body and things like that. And that's happened whether they were in Australia or in my office. And then the other, the other super weird thing about me is that there are different ways that people release trauma and, there's, and, and emotions. And that can range from yawning and burping and stomach growling and muscle spasms and coughing sometimes when, when there's like an emotional block that you, you're almost ready to let go of something, but there's a block, so you start coughing. So my clients will do those things. But I also, because this field forms between us, I often add kind of a little more release to the process, and I wind up burping things out. And this has been happening over Zoom just as much as it happens in in my office but it does it does make a difference because people notice that like oh my god my anger is gone now and, and so it it has an effect okay so this might sound like a silly question so and being an empath like you're saying do sometimes people won't believe it because they're saying well you're you're in california and i i'm in Australia. I actually so, had a phone call you, like that where the where I told the guy that, that who was in Washington, he was in your state, and that I did that. He says, "Oh, I don't believe you. Forget it. You, you're saying you can do that. I'm hanging up." Well, that's fine. That <laughs> we're not meant to work together, but it it yeah it it's something that happens. It's that's quite real. I have had pain management clients where I've said, "So do you have a pain on the top right?" nail of your big toe and they say yeah how do you know 
So, <laughs> so there's something that happens. And, and, and I, there, there's a common thing that people who've had a lot of trauma in their life do pick up on other people. A lot of empaths pick up on other people because that's what they did in order to feel safe in the world. They, this, this ability shows up as a, as kind of a safety feature. So, and sometimes it's kind of annoying actually, because yeah. occasionally I pick up on people in real life or I pick up on my partner and at a time where I don't really want to, you know what I mean? I, I don't mind doing it in sessions because that's just part of how it works. But I've also picked up, you know, on people, strangers, when they've had a lot going on. It doesn't happen very often, thank God, but it does happen. And it's it's really annoying to, you know, if you're not intentionally doing something to to have, to start burping for someone that you don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess this also goes back to what I I mentioned and we talked about a little bit in the very, very beginning part is you – you have to be accepting of of the therapist and i think in order for any of this to work because like you said the person in washington state not me i wasn't the caller because they didn't believe and like you said he's going to hang up and you said hey you know fine it's not meant for us to work together and it probably would not have worked well it doesn't work if if i mean hypnosis you do want to believe to at least some degree or be at least open-minded with hypnosis mm-hmm. because the, you know, if you shut yourself down, you're not going to have an experience. Right. You're just closing yourself off to, to that. I, what I wanted to ask you too, as far as the empath goes, and if sometimes if you're doing like a, a FaceTime situation and people don't believe that that can happen, do you, this might give the, any secrets away, but do you, play up to it and say, okay, now this is going to sound strange, but put your finger on the screen and I'll put mine and then we can feel connected. <laughs> oh, no, no. Because what, 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 what's <laughs> happening is I already feel what's going on in their body. Yeah. And the well, thing is, when I start burping, which will happen, and I've warned them that I'm going to start burping because <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's, and it's, it's, they're going through something really deep anyway. Mm-hmm. So I only burp when they've got so much going on that it's more than they can release at one time. So my body starts taking over. So, wow. and, and yet none of this is conscious. You know what I mean? None of this is something I do on purpose. It just starts happening. And I'm just as happy when it doesn't, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> well, I can definitely see where that would be. A pain in the, you know what, if it, if it was just an involuntary thing and it just happens and you're walking around and you're, 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 well, you're empathizing with a lot of people and you're feeling their emotions and you're burping and releasing, it would be like unintentionally reading everybody's thoughts. And that would just be yeah. annoying. Oh, it, it can, you know, the, the worst thing is that museums, oh. two things happen in museums. I pick up on people <laughs> concentrating. And people mm-hmm. concentrate really, really hard at museums, at art museums in particular. And I get really exhausted from that kind of energy. But I also seem to pick up on dead artists. Certain dead, if there's something, the unfinished business that that dead artist had emotionally, uh, there's, I can start burping at a museum, which is sort of embarrassing. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine it'd be like being in the library. Shh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heads yeah. turn. It's like, I, I, and it's, it's really, it's, it's not me. It's really specific. I there is like a Picasso Calder exhibit at the San Francisco MoMA and Museum of Modern Art, and and I forget who it was, but it was either only Picasso or only Calder that I was having these things from. So I could look at one of their one artist. Maybe it was, I can't tell you. No, I think it must have been Calder. So I'd look at something by Calder and I'd have these feelings. These, these burping would show up. And I'd look at something at Picasso and they wouldn't, I wouldn't feel anything. So. <laughs> wow. And it's not every artist, obviously, right? It's just like there's certain yeah. artists. Gosh. And you, you've always had this ability? No. No, it or... began to show up in about two. Well, I don't know for sure, but I became aware of it in in two thousand five or so. 
Oh. And it and it developed over time. And the burping developed for me as, as in, in my own therapy. Burping became something that happened as a way of releasing. And then in 2005, I was at this workshop from my men's group where people were doing processing, training you on how to do processing. And this guy on Friday night said to me, I see you as a shaman. I said, well, that's nice. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but that's nice. But by Sunday morning, I started burping things out for people who were doing process work. And that was brand new. I, that had never happened before. It, it's, this is all really fascinating. I mean, you, you're a fascinating individual, but the work that you do and the work that you do to help people, because, I mean, you do everything from how to, you know, helping people stop smoking, lose weight, manage their pain, all of that through your sessions, right? Absolutely. And and it's all kind of smoking. You wind up doing a, a different kind of thing. You're less kind of trauma connected, but weight loss for certain, we're eating down our emotions and, you know, the anxiety and the pain management also has a, has a trauma component as well. There's, there's a real clear connection between leftover emotions that are stuck in our body and tensing up our muscles and stopping our blood flow are also, you know, causing our pain. There's a surgeon, back surgeon, John Sarno, I think his first name is John, who looked at studies of bone scans of people with back surgery and half had been successful and half hadn't been. And there was no difference between the good surgeries and the successful surgeries and the unsuccessful surgeries in terms of the structure of the people's bodies. But at some point he started discovering that the ones who had unsuccessful surgeries had a lot of trauma in their background, and he started working more on the emotional level with people. In a short step, what can I do to help myself if, I, if I'm having trauma from something that was deep-rooted? And if I know what caused that trauma, is, what can I do? To help myself. Well, so so trauma, the re, the leftover emotions that you're carrying in your body and the leftover beliefs, they're all carried in your body to a certain extent. So what we're trying to do when we get over trauma is release those leftover things. So in the in the course, I have a, a more complex process that I take people through because there are places where it where we get blocked, where it isn't safe to work on a particular piece until we address kind of the, these inner parts of ourselves or our inner parents that say, hey, <laughs> it's not okay for you to have your anger about what happened to you. But on a basic level, what you want to do is notice where you feel stuff in your body and then do things like the magician's hat, or I have another one called zipper surgery, where you just imagine unzipping that spot and seeing you'll see something inside. And it can be rocks, it could be snakes, it could be crap, it could be edge, and you you take that out. And, you, and and frankly, what I would do for anyone who's got kind of trauma that they know about is just on a morning, every morning before they even open their eyes, is go through kind of do that in your throat and your chest and your solar solar plexus or your midriff if you don't know what that is, and your belly, and you just do that as a practice every morning to release whatever tension is there. And you can just do magician's hat works perfectly well for that. And you just do that and that will that will release things for you and and kind of open up your unconscious and your ability to get to your subconscious as you free up kind of these energies that are in the body. It's it's tension. It's it it's stored tension in the body. So that, that that's what I would do. Just if you don't have anything else to do, if you just picture pulling stuff out in one way or the other with a magician's hat with a fire hose I'm in, in the in the woman anxiety solution there's beer barrels there's you can imagine just turning to atoms in those areas and noticing that there's an object still there when you close your eyes but there's all these different ways but the whole the whole theme is let's get the leftover energy that you've taken in from what happened, sometimes it's your own emotions and and your own fear and grief and anger, and sometimes you know we we take in the emotions of the people who did bad things to us, and that has to come out too. Hmm. And so that's what I would do for if you do remember trauma, and you know there are different therapies. If you don't work with, I, I you know I have a limited number of people I'm willing to see. 
per week because what I do is very intense. But people have really yeah. profound experiences pretty much every single session. I had one guy who did 20 years of psychotherapy who said three sessions with me was better than 20 years of psychotherapy. And now psychoanalysis, he did the whole Freudian thing. But there, I would, I definitely work with body-oriented techniques. And so those are things like EMDR and somatic experiencing and Hakomi. And there's something called brain spotting. And I think those are the four that I know off the top of my head that work more similarly to me. And I was deeply influenced by Kakomi. And and I know something about some of the other modalities. And, you know, there's strengths and weaknesses. What I've done is I've synthesized a lot of things. And I've taken all the wheat and gotten rid of all the chaff and combined it into these five steps. And, and right now, that 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 uh, just the trauma course is just forty seven dollars. So it's less than you know, oh, <laughs> it's like forty uh, forty videos, and, and it costs less than you know going to one therapy session with an intern who so, yes, doesn't have their license yet. Yeah, that's less no than matter half where price. you are in the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just real quick, then the EMDR is the eye movement, right? Is, right, uh, eye movement desensitization. It's basically, you know, the old hypnotist watch where the you watch the mm -hmm. watch go back and forth. Well, EMDR is doing the same thing. You're moving your eyes back and forth, and it and like the finger dance that I showed you earlier, it's going yeah. it it's stimulating both sides and it puts you into a state where you're it's easy to connect to your subconscious. Now I like connecting to the body better, connecting to tension in the body better. I found because I had a therapist I worked with who did EMDR with me once. And I was like, oh, I did it with my eyes. And it's like, this just takes me to the same place that connecting to my body does and, and, and asking those questions does. And A, I can do that faster, partly because I did so much practice in it. And B, the back and forth, you know, it's a lot of work to move my eyes back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> and it only took me to the same, it felt exactly the same. What you discover is all of these things take you pretty much to the same place where you're connected to your subconscious. Yes, there, there's so much to talk about and to learn this stuff. My last question would be, are there steps and do you have to follow steps in order to become successful? As an example, you know, you have your five step or say there's a five step and there's a 10 step and these are the steps. You, you can't or you shouldn't go from step three to seven and then say it didn't work right you need to you there's a process I in my five-step process the, the first step is the one that's the most important and then you can kind of play around with the, the third step is more of like a first sta first aid station when something's not working in step one step two step four step five you go to step three so for me it's much more of a and, and step two and step four could be played around with in in it was a big decision to even name which one goes where. But so, I, you know, the thing is, no, nothing step by step. And what one person does to be successful may not be how you get to be successful. We all buy all these courses, you know, none of us turned into Tony Robbins. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, it, and some people did, but. You know, look, I've taken courses from all these, not Tony, well, I had something somebody gave me from Tony Robbins, but, you know, I've taken courses with a lot of people and none of it, you know, we all have, we're so unique. And, and, and Tony Robbins says success leaves clues. And yes, that's true. And yet different things work for different people. We all have different kinds of minds. We all have different kinds of bodies that and and inborn tendencies and and things that we're good at and things that we're not good at we have no idea what why we are the way we are i don't know can you what food do you not like is there one food you don't like i'm trying to think what do i not like i, I i'll say beets beets are the least of what i like okay great so and other people love beets right Mm-hmm. So we have no idea why you don't like beets and they do and, and or why I don't like olives and you do. We don't know why, why we want what we want. 
So there's like this giant mystery as to how things work. And one size doesn't fit all. I have a, my best friend from, from high school, his brother was a scientist who made this huge splash in the science world. At 20 years old, he discovered that in Reese's monkeys, the blood pressure, their blood pressure goes up at night when they're asleep. Unlike everybody else whose blood pressure goes down when they go to sleep. So that was such a profound lesson to me that everybody's exactly the way they're supposed to be. And whatever's going to work for them is going to work for them. And you can't, one size definitely does not fit all. With all of that that you just now said, if I need or ever need a hypnotist, therapist, you're the guy because I like what you said. There's not one solution that's going to solve it for everyone. Everyone is different. So. Right. And I'm not always the right guy for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, nobody's, nobody's a hundred percent. Anybody who says that they have a hundred percent success rate is either lying or they're screening out all the people that they know aren't going to know, <laughs> don't absolutely believe are a perfect yeah. fit for them. <laughs> yeah. My 100% success rate. Yeah, I had all my friends come and they agreed with me. Again, the, you got to get a hold of Mahesh at anxiety123.com. I hope that's easy enough to remember. <laughs> uh, if you start feeling any type of anxiety, just remember, count one, two, three, and then go, ah, dot yeah. com, and you're there. <laughs> I just think of the Jackson 5 song, ABC. Easy as one, two, three. <laughs> uh, Mahesh, I, I've had a wonderful time with you. And, and I'm looking down, and I can't believe how much time has already gone by. So I hope you're okay. I'm fine. I didn't know when we began. <laughs> <laughs> I had you in. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity.